Welcome to the History of Skipton podcast with me, Ian Lockwood, author of the book, The History of Skipton. Bit unusual start this week because I'm giving a shout out to uh, Gav, who has just found the podcast and says how much he's enjoying it. Uh, He's on number 16, so he's a fair bit of catching up to do. However, Gav's asked me a question and I don't know the answer to it. And his question was, why is Westmoreland Street in Skipton so wide? It's at least twice the width of the other streets in the area. Um, I've given him a few ideas, but I don't know the proper answer. So if anybody knows the answer to the question, or indeed has another question to ask me, you can get in touch by emailing historyofskipton at gmail.com. That's historyofskipton, all one word, at gmail.com. And it's all lowercase, by the way. So, we're up to episode 63. And in this, we're going to continue our look at the role of religious groups in the town. You may remember from the last couple of episodes how I talked about the Church of England and the Roman Catholics. This time, I'll be looking at another group which provided social cohesion in Skipton, with communal bonds, social organisations, and mutual support, comfort, and interaction. This group is called the Nonconformists, and in the Victorian era, they were the biggest religious group in Skipton, certainly among the working class. And you've got to remember that in 1851, a religious census found that 50% of the UK population went to church every Sunday. So it's a big chunk of Skipton's population we're talking about. But first, an explanation of this word non-conformist. What it means is that was any religious group which did not conform to the teachings and practices of the established church, i.e. the Church of England. Non-conformists did not have bishops and archbishops directing their affairs, like the Church of England, and indeed the Roman Catholics. The individual church was pretty autonomous, making its own decisions and running its own affairs. Nonconformists took a more literal belief in the Bible. They did not believe in rituals, saints, statues, nor priests wearing special clothing, and would usually strongly oppose to alcohol. Nonconformists might also be called dissenters because they dissented from the Church of England, or Puritans, because they claimed theirs was the pure form of Christianity. But by the Victorian era, the word non-conformist had taken over from these two expressions. And there were numerous types of non-conformists, such as Wesleyans, Congregationalists, Baptists, Primitive Methodists and Quakers. Their doctrinal differences might seem small, but they were fiercely debated by their adherents. And gradually, they came to realise that the beliefs that united them were great, and the differences that separated them were small. And as church attendances dwindled through the 20th century, there was consolidation 
a merger. St Andrew's Church in Skipton is a merger of the town's Methodist and United Reform communities. So when I refer to non-conformists, I'm talking about quite an umbrella group, but basically about Methodists and others who did not conform to the teachings and rules of the Church of England. But to this episode, I'm going to focus on two non-conformist religions, which suffered considerable persecution. Now, the Test Act of 1673, which required anyone holding an official post to pass a test of their loyalty to the established Church of England, was not aimed solely at Catholics. Non-conformists were also in its sights. At that time, one of the most suspicious non-conformist groups was the Society of Friends, or Quakers. George Fox, the founder of the Quaker movement, visited Skipton in 1652. Well, at least his diary does not name Skipton, but he says he visited a market town on market day on his way from Bradford into the Dales. So Skipton is highly probable. In their early years, the Quakers were relatively strong in Skipton, even though this form of religious dissent was highly controversial and detrimental to the health, wealth and social standing of its followers. A Quaker from Skipton, called William Simpson, was prone to preaching naked in the streets, and in 1654 the ordinary folk of Skipton took exception to him. He was attacked and slashed about the face, head and hands. In the same year, Miles Hallhead harangued the public going about their business at Skipton Market and was badly wounded when someone lunged at him with a pike staff. A bystander who tried to intervene and protect him was also cut about the hand. Thomas Sutton, the vicar of Skipton from 1655 to 1683, had a particularly strong dislike of Quakers and pursued them through the courts for failing to attend mass, which was a legal obligation in those days. The Victorian author W.H. Dawson relates how the vicar pursued John Stott, a Quaker, through the courts for money owed for not attending church services. The vicar won his case and was awarded damages of £1, 16 shillings and eightpence. It's a lot of money in those days. From the start of his incumbency as vicar, Sutton pursued a hard line against Skipton Quakers, bringing cases to the quarter sessions. James Tennant, for example, was sentenced to 45 weeks in York Castle for refusing to pay his tithes. These were taxes owed to the local parish church. Tennant was clearly a determined man. For the following year, he and two others were fined for refusing to swear an oath of conformity to the established church. And later, in 1656, he was jailed for another five weeks for the same offence. Fox paid a second visit to Skipton in 1658, and the story of the naked preacher being beaten up reached his ears, and more importantly, his diary. Despite the persecution, 
the Quaker community, while small, proved highly resilient. Indeed, Skipton claims to be the venue for the first ever general meeting of the Quaker religion, a sort of general synod. And this took place in 1660, with prominent preachers assembling in houses and fields around Skipton to share their beliefs. There seems to have been a lull in the overt persecution of the Quaker faithful, but in 1682 the quarter sessions came down savagely upon them again. Abigail Stott, a widow presumably of the John Stott mentioned earlier, whom Sutton had fleeced of a large sum, was fined the huge amount of £20 for allowing her home to be used for a meeting of Skipton Quakers. The court recognised she had no chance of paying this, and the sentence was changed to seizure of all her goods and chattels. Her daughter, also Abigail, had to pay £5 for being a hearer of the religion. Indeed, £5 per head seems to be being fixed as the price for just listening to the Quaker service. John Hall was fined £10 for preaching, his wife £5 for hearing. John and Alice Cowper were fined £10 for hearing. The same for Thomas Smith and his wife, while Francis Dunn, a widow called Jane Bocock, and Joshua Bocock, which was presumably her son, were fined £5 each. The same fines were imposed on people from Empsey and Bradley, who had ventured into Skipton to follow their religion. Tellingly, there were far harsher and more numerous fines against Quakers than against Roman Catholics. Either the Skipton vicars were particularly antagonistic against Quakers, or the town was seen as a stronghold for the religion. The latter seems more likely, given the movement held its first ever national meeting in Skipton. This vicar Sutton, who carried out most of these prosecutions through the courts, was hardly a paragon. Oliver Haywood, a preacher who toured the West Riding, wrote in his diary in 1681 that Sutton was involved in a drinking bout with local gentlemen. He also picked fights when he was drunk. Haywood commented in his diary, He is a strange man. He will drink until three or four o'clock on the Sabbath day morning, yet a few hours later preach and rant against drunkenness in the pulpit. He saith himself that he hath the knack of preaching. Oh, dreadful! But in 1689... The old order was deposed and a new king, William III, passed the Toleration Act, which allowed dissenting religions to at least exist, albeit under strict rules. Although this act did not apply to Catholics. The dissenters could meet at a place of worship, provided it was licensed, but they could not meet in their private homes. Within four years... The Skipton Quakers had secured their meeting house off Newmarket Street and it still exists today. Slowly, the passions aroused by the arguments between Puritans and more mainstream Protestants died away, but
but a particularly fervent incumbent of Holy Trinity could still wield his power. One such man was Roger Mitten, vicar of Skipton from 1705 to 1740, and he was not averse to hauling his parishioners before religious courts. So, after a lull of no persecutions against dissenting religions, in 1711, the parish records show that Skiptonian's Henry Goodgen was fined for not going to church. Alicia Gibb was fined for serving drinks to guests during the hours of divine service, and Thomas and Olivia Dale were fined for permitting abominable disorders in their house. The courts would have been full had every transgression against the Sabbath or generally upsetting the vicar's moral view, been prosecuted, and it is likely that these fines would be resisted, and perhaps even unpaid. Yet even as late as 1761, the parish record books show that Mitten's successor, called Samuel Plummer, authorised payment of six pence to the village constable to break up a rabble who were making a noise outside the church on the Sabbath day. One prominent Quaker was John Hall, who in the 1680s lived at 2 Newmarket Street, where C.H. Brown and the Sense Charity Shop are currently standing. And here he ran a tailor's business. Hall was fined for his religious beliefs, but after the Toleration Act, he was instrumental in building the Friends Meeting House. Despite his religious credentials, Hall then turned his home into a temperance inn, with singing, dancing and music all banned. In 1703, he turned the building into a Quaker school, which was run by his son, David Hall, who was in trouble in 1711 and again in 1712 for not having a licence to teach. He was in a catch-22 situation. He needed to go to university to gain a teaching licence, but he could not go to university because he was a Quaker. Yet the Quaker school in Skipton ran for more than a century until, in 1817, this building was sold to a Dr Smith who split it into five shop premises. An indication of the life of Quakers in Skipton can be found in a book printed in 1758 by David Hall, and it was called Some Brief Memoirs of the Life of David Hall. It is filled mainly with letters on religious subjects to fellow Quaker communities. One is a caution against drowsiness in meetings of worship, but it starts with a review of his own life, and this is where we get much of our information about the persecution of the Quakers. Born in 1683, the Quaker school established by his father and run by David quickly attracted about 40 boarders, which sounds a lot for the size of the property. But Reverend Mitten arrived on the scene as vicar of Skipton in 1703, soon after the school had opened, and immediately he started harassing the Quakers. Hall records in his book, I met with no small disturbance from Roger Mitten, priest of Skipton, 
who, in vain, endeavoured for several years to root out the Quaker seminary, as he styled my school at Skipton. In vain, said I, yea, verily, for he could never obtain his desired ends, neither by, by casting me into prison, nor any other ways extirpating my seminary, though he rigidly prosecuted me both at the quarter sessions and in the spiritual court, so called at one and the same time, for teaching school without a licence. Hall's religious fanaticism, although fanaticism sounds a rather harsh word for one who is prosecuted, his devotion is probably better. His devotion probably made him unpopular in the town. He recounts how, in September 1711, a great weight seized me to go through the town of Skipton and call the inhabitants to repentance. After discussing it with his parents, all three burst into tears before Hall ran out into the street shouting, There's an exercise upon me to warn the inhabitants of Skipton to repent of their fornications, drunkenness, pride, covetousness, arrogancy, and all their evil ways, for a dismal day is coming over England for its ingratitude. On another occasion, he burst into a school where dancing was taught and harangued the master. I was come to warn him to desist from his ungodly practice, etc. Further adding that I believed he was secretly judged for his practice. Now, it's little wonder that many Skiptonians found this uncompromising zeal unacceptable and took offence at being accused of all sorts of wickedness as they went about their daily business. And it was not just Skipton which had to put up with Hall's views. He went to Keithley to criticise the superstitions and extravagance surrounding Christmas, especially the over-feasting. One year, Hall's school was struck by an outbreak of smallpox and five of the boarders died. But these were the only deaths in the 32 years he ran the school, he claimed. He handed the school to his usher, that's his assistant, in 1735 and embarked upon a series of journeys preaching to Quaker communities across the land before returning to a teaching role in Skipton in 1741. Although this time the school had dwindled to only around 12 boarders. The Quaker Meeting House, Quakers do not have churches or chapels, was widely used in the 18th century and the current garden was, was used as a burial ground for Skipton Quakers. But the movement began to lose ground compared to other non-conformist movements in the 19th century. By 1897, Quaker numbers in Skipton had become so low that the Skipton meeting was closed and its members linked up with Keithley. But that appears not to have worked out, and it only lasted ten years before the Skipton members returned to their Skipton property. From their early days of persecution, the Quakers were by now accepted, and indeed perceived as a force for good. 
It is notable that both the Cadbury and Roundtree chocolate companies were founded by Quakers who strove to provide their workers with better housing and social conditions than were prevalent at the time. And now, far from being persecuted, the Quakers are seen as upholders of peace and social justice. And now I'll turn my attention to another religious group which faced hostility from the population. You may be surprised to know that it's a Salvation Army. The Salvation Army movement caused something of a stir when it made its first appearance in Skipton in 1882. Breaking out from its London headquarters with a mission to teach the word of God to the poor and down and outs, 20 Salvation Army followers marched from Keighley to Skipton, singing hymns and shouting out on the way. Their presence was not exactly welcomed as they took a confrontational approach, being all too keen on approaching people to tell them to repent of their sinful ways, even though they knew nothing whatsoever of their circumstances. The Craven Herald newspaper reported confrontations both on the streets and in services, but the allegations of disorder were disputed by some witnesses. The Salvation Army took up residence in a building on Castle Street and a rumour that one publican had hired some toughs to break up the meeting swept the town. The establishment watched warily. The author of a column called Quips and Quirks in the Herald described the Salvationists as a religious craze of doubtful benefit. And he went on to say that their services were conducted with a levity which encourages profanation. This writer claimed that any ordinary person going through the streets singing and yelling would be arrested for being drunk and riotous, whereas the Salvationists acted drunk and riotous. The Christchurch Parish Magazine out in May that year of 1882, was more wary, but took exception to the length and timings of the Salvation Army meetings, stating, A number of people of both sexes cannot be called together at dusk and kept together until late in the evening without incurring the risk of creating scandal. When Skipton's MP, Lord Frederick Cavendish, was murdered by Irish nationalists later that same year of 1882, the Christian army was unwittingly dragged in. The Quips and Quirks column noted that the group's captain, Chapman, had made scandalous and profane remarks about the dead man, which swept quickly through the town. When the group made their Tuesday night march round the town, a large crowd gathered hooting and jostling them, and only a large police presence at their side prevented a major disturbance. Back in the temperance hall, their captain denied strongly using the words attributed to him and even offered a £5 reward for information about who had started this rumour. But the Salvationists were given a fairer hearing in an editorial of 1883 when the paper said, 
There may be a certain amount of levity in their proceedings, but this much is clear, that many young men who formerly pursued their low-lived habits have joined the Salvation Army and become sober and respectful members of the society. The article went on to point out that they needed some moral courage to do so because they had to wear a uniform and suffer jeers from the crowd as they walked around the streets. However, this craze of marching through Skipton telling people how to live their lives soon died out. In August 1884, the Salvation Army's numbers had dwindled to around a dozen and the Skipton captain was pulled out of the town to serve elsewhere. But it was not the end of the Salvation Army. In 1887, 40 tradesmen based in and around Caroline Square petitioned the local Board of Health, which ran affairs in the town. The paper reported, The tradesmen called the attention of the Skipton Board of Health to the great nuisance caused every night by the Salvation Army by the beating of their drums from 7pm to 8.30pm and on Sundays from 9.30am to 10.30am, from 1.30pm to 3pm and from 5.30pm to 6.30pm. This great nuisance has been going on for some time and for invalids is simply unbearable. We ask if you will take steps to have it removed at once. The answer, however, was no. The guardians met a few days later and agreed that it had no bylaws to prevent what they agreed was a nuisance. The army seemed to be in a competition as to how loud its noise could be and it refused all pleas on behalf of sick persons except on one occasion when a woman was dying in a building near the meeting. Even so, members of the Board of Health reckoned that a confrontation with the authorities in which they were persecuted was just what the Salvation Army wanted. No action was taken, although one member of the board, uh, called Paget, wondered why simply someone simply did not put their boot through the Salvation Army drum. Seventeen years later, and attitudes towards the Salvation Army had fundamentally altered. It was not just accepted, it was positively praised. The Army's founder, General William Booth, called in at Skipton on a much-publicised motor tour of Britain, at which he was driven from town to town, stopping off to deliver a sermon. The Temperance Hall was full to capacity for his speech. While many might have expected a speech full of fire, the general looked old and tired, according to the newspaper report. But the welcome and respect for the movement was apparent in the newspaper's final verdict on the visit. Many people will in years to come recall with interest the fact that they heard and saw the head of this wonderful organisation with ramifications in all part of the civilised world. So, the Salvation Army had gone 
from a religious craze of doubtful benefit to a wonderful organisation in 20 years. The army continued to meet in the Mission Hall at Romilly Street until 1916, when it took over the corrugated iron church on Belmont Bridge, vacated by the town's Baptists. This was a short-lived venture, as just a few weeks later, the wooden-framed building was burnt to the ground, destroying some of the Salvation Army's musical instruments in the process. The army then operated from a hall in Carlton Street, but in 1937 it finally acquired a home of its own when it purchased the Castle Street building, which had been built and occupied by the Mount Hermon Chapel, owned by a branch of the Methodists. And next time, we'll be looking at the Methodists, the largest of the non-conformist groups in the town. Thank you for listening. Thank you.